The Show You News whole family of podcasts is growing. I introduce to you, You Might Also Like, a podcast about how algorithms influence the choices we make. From college rankings to policing, we take a critical look at how algorithms impact our daily lives. Make sure to like and subscribe. Links are in the show notes. If a picture is worth a thousand words, then an action is worth a thousand algorithms. Well, let's look at one today. I'm TJ, and you're listening to You Might Also Like. Uh, TJ, so last time we spoke, we talked quite a bit about uh, algorithms and how they're used to uh, determine certain outcomes and and work and, and hiring and so forth. Um, but we really didn't touch too much on, on what they are and how they work. So let's start off t- uh, today's episode by just kind of outlining what is, when people say algorithm, what do they mean and how does that work? Yeah. So, uh, algorithm is a very, it's basically a, um, process that's based on a set of rules. So I like to think of this as like an if then statement. If, if, I, if I do this, then I expect this. Or if I get this, then I, I will do this. Um, so basically what we do is we create an algorithm that we input data and we say, um, read the data. And if this happens, then give me this result. So in a, in a very, very narrow aspect, that's what an algorithm does. So are you saying that the person creating the algorithm knows some of the outcomes they want? So basically what they're looking for is there's a current process in place today, right? It could be a manual process where uh, they have to take this information and they, it gives them a certain, it gives them a, um, an end result, right? So they take some input, gets them the output. That middle part can be manual. So they're having to build it. They have to read, they have to do the, um, process over and over again. So every time they get a new input, they have to recalculate for the output. An algorithm automates that process. So what they do is they take a current process and they build that algorithm based off the current set of rules that are in place to help automate that process. Um, so it could be something that's already pre-designed um, that they need to automate, or it's something that they need to um, they they need the data to kind of help them translate what that automation looks like. So it sounds like it gets rid of a lot of time and effort. So what's, what's, what's the downside to that? So the downside to algorithms is that people always use it as it's not my responsibility. Like the algorithm generated the result. So you can't blame me for it. You know, it's, it's a whole idea of, well, this is what the algorithm gave us. Um, and that's something that I've heard a lot um, from from when a certain output happens is, well, you know, it's not my fault. It's the algorithm's fault. Um, and that's that's I, I have to call BS on that because a lot of times a lot of those algorithms are developed by the people um, that are generating those results. So it there is a lot of uh, when you when people say it's an unbiased algorithm, there is some bias that is, that is embedded inside of the algorithm. And that's I mean like really at the top of the list is, is when they weight a certain metric. So like I mentioned, if then statement, like if this happens, then this, 
but we all know that it's not so simple, right? There's never a one, um, there's never a one to one ratio. There's always different variables and different metrics that get muddy up the water. And all of a sudden you're looking at all these lists of metrics um, and you're trying to determine, okay, if all of these occur, then give me this result. But but it's it can be to a point where you're 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 giving um, you're giving this all the ifs that are occurring the same weight, and that can give you a, a poor result. So I'm 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 hoping I'm not going like because it's it's I know it's a lot to kind of take in, but if you have five ifs that you're looking at by default, each one of those is weighted at twenty percent to equal a hundred percent. But we, but we know that not everything is as important as the other. So how do, how, how do they, how does one decide what's the more important metric? And that's really, metrics? it's, it's really subjective to what um, you can look at a list of five different metrics that you're saying, okay, these five um, are going to, you know, this is the type of data we want for an input focus on these five metrics. I think that this metric a is way more important than metric B. So I want to give metric A 30% and I want to give metric B 10% and then keep the others at 20% to give me 100%. So I've just subjectively assigned a metric, a weight to a metric based off of what I feel like is more important within that environment. Hmm. So... You weight it. You're, you're you're giving the metrics weight based on the outcomes you desire or you anticipate, or is it a case where people look at the research in a particular field and make a decision on whether or not one metric should have more weight than another based on what the research says? So, yeah, I, I guess. The, you would want you would want that to be the case. You would always want to have the the subject matter experts, you know, helping to determine which has more um, more weight than something else. Um, but but actually, let because we all do this. Like I don't want to just look at it as this is a function of of someone that you know is, is is highly intelligent or highly educated, and they're trying to. We all take this kind of weighted metric. Um, and some things that we do almost on, on a daily basis, especially as we're confined to our homes, and that's online shopping. I mean, if you think about online shopping, if you go to a website and you're trying to figure out, you know, which product am I going to buy? One of the things that you look at is the reviews. Like you put a lot of um, attention on what types of reviews is a certain product getting. But besides like, like if you want to say, if this product has five stars, then I'm going to buy it. Like that's a very simple input output. If this has five stars, I'm going to buy it. Um, but then what you start to notice is that there's different, not only is there the average rating, but there's also the number of reviews. So if you see a product that has five stars, but there's only one review, now you're starting to add weights to what's more important. Is the average rating more important or is the number of reviews more important? And so you start to kind of inside yourself determine, well, I think, you know, there needs to be a good mix between the two. Like 60%, I'm going to put on the average rating and I'll put 40% on the um, on the number of reviews. And you start to internalize that and that's how you kind of come up with your own output. So it's 
we do this on a regular basis. It's not something that's like intuitive, just the data. It's something that we all kind of do within our, when we, when we make decisions and how we weight the options we have to try to determine the result that we want to get. Right. So you're saying that you have, you have two products that you're considering. One has four stars, one has five stars, but the five star uh, item only has a handful of reviews, whereas the four star item might have 2000 reviews. Right. So if you're, if you're, if your metric, if you're, if your most important metric is the, the number of stars, the highest rating, then if you know nothing else, then the five star is the better buy rather than the four star. Right. Exactly. I so, think I'm starting to understand. So if you if you built a, an algorithm to automate that decision making process for you, and you said I average rating is a hundred percent, I don't care about anything else. That five star rating is going to get through. You're going to buy that one. It's going to automate that process for you. This is what this is what the output is. But if you start to say actually number of reviews is important too, and then you start to play around with those weights, all of a sudden you're going to start you're going to start to see different outputs occur because you're assigning different um, importance on, on those two different metrics. So it, it can really have an impact based off of how you change those um, to what the output is going to be. Right. And you'll, you'll end up with different beneficiaries. Yep, exactly. And that's, it's all, and it's all subjective to what you feel is the most important in that such in that decision-making process. Hmm. So what's a good, real world example of this in terms of 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 a system that's already in place so this is very popular among like um if you see like a top um top list uh you know these are the top 10 whatever these are the top five you know highly rated products um you you start you see a lot of that weighted systems used within these and i would say one of the biggest ones that i've seen um, is the U.S. News College Rankings that comes out every year. Uh, they do a lot of, they, they take a lot of data um, from different universities and they throw this into this, their, their, um, their kind of algorithms that they've generated to determine well, what's the ranking look like for each of these universities. What's the best university um, based off of these metrics and the weights that they assign to them. Um, they, and they're very transparent, which is good. Um, because we can look at it and analyze it, but it's it's very subjective to what those weights are for each metric. But how do how how do they get uh, these data? So when they when they started, um, they relied on the universities to supply the data to them. So they they would they work with all the universities to say this is what we um, you know this is what we need from you. So we need this information. So that we can put it into our into our data set, and we can compare you to all the other universities that are giving us the same information. So, it's it was it started off as a way to kind of help um, show which universities, uh, you know, from a consumer, should I be uh, wanting to attend um, over other universities? And it's become this real competitive list where universities now are reliant on doing well in these lists so they can get funding. Um, and it's, it's, it's become this whole idea of we need to submit numbers that are going to help us move up in the rankings. And we can look at the, the metrics that are highly weighted 
So we can say that we are doing super well in these areas because this is what's most important to U.S. news rankings. So we need to we need to supply good information to to help us up move up in the rankings, and we don't have to worry about the ones that are lower because those aren't going to have as bigger as bigger as an impact on our overall re- result. So, and they take into account meaning the U.S. News and World Report. They're looking for things like um, graduation rates and retention rates, so hard numbers. Um, but I also noticed because you sent me a, a document, um, that their their document about what they look at and how it's weighted. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that there was quite a bit of survey data, in 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 their in their process. So, and the survey data really applies to. Um like what other universities are saying about them. So it's, you know, how does, how does my um, peers see me or see our university system within, you know, within this whole institution of education. Um, And so they rely heavily on what other people are saying about, so it becomes a popularity contest. Um, And that is one of the higher rated or higher weighted um, metrics. Um, They actually have six of them from last year and they have the highest one is going to be outcomes, which is like graduation and retention, basically like, you know, how many, how many of your student body actually graduates um, and how much student body do you retain year over year? Um, that's at the highest at 35%. They have faculty resources at 20%, expert opinion, which is a popularity contest at 20%, financial resources at 10, student excellence at 10, and alumni giving it five. Um, so how much of the people that have graduated give back to the university um, financially? Uh, that, that one kind of stuck out to me like a like a sore thumb because I, I was racking my brain, like how how would alumni giving determine, it, it, with, if, if, you, if you factor out the purely monetary part of it, mm-hmm. how does alumni giving give you insight into whether or not a school is any good. So before I answer that question, I want to I want to point out that I hope these types of this type of conversation like back and forth is what goes on when they're weighting these, you know, metrics. Um like okay, we have alumni giving, but why is that important? Uh, and that's probably why it's the lowest weighted at, at 5%. Uh, but essentially their their thought is if you graduate from the university, and you give money back to them after you've graduated, you found value in that education. You felt like that going to that university gave you the success or helped drive you to the success that you're at today. And so you saw the value in that. So you're willing to give back money to help further that education for other people um, going through the, going through that um, process now. So that, that was kind of the thought process of why alumni giving was an essential piece of that. Um, it's decision for ranking, but but it as as a metric, as a as a data point, it also it also highly benefits schools that that turn out graduates who become very wealthy. So so if you got a degree from say, well, I don't want to pick on any particular school, but I mean if you got if you got a degree from you know your local state school. And that degree was in, I don't know, art history. And then someone else went to 
some big ticket school and their parents went to that big, big ticket school, then the likelihood of them being in a position to to give back as an alum is going to be higher for them than the person who's, you know, first generation got a got a humanities degree. Yeah, you actually um, bring out a point that Malcolm Gladwell calls out in 2011. I know this was a while ago, but it's still relevant to uh, what we're talking about because he wrote an article for The New Yorker called or- The Order of Things. And he talks about this, where um, the, one of the issues with this, uh, this way of you know, metric weighting is that it's heterogeneous. Like it doesn't, it, you, you, it's, it, you can't compare a, uh, you know, a big, like a big school. I, I think, I think he uses, um, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember, um, which one is it? It was the, just compare like these high schools, like university of Illinois, uh, university of Wisconsin, Madison, Penn state, uh, you know, they compare these these big public institutions to these smaller, expensive private. And he uses a Jewish university um, and can, and uh, that has a campus in Manhattan, and it uses the same um, the same metrics to determine where they are on the list. And these are two completely different institutions. I mean, he he uses cars as a way to to illustrate it, but I think for me, like I wouldn't use the same metrics for a coffee grinder. Cause you know, I love coffee. That's my, that's my language. So I wouldn't use the same metrics for a coffee grinder as I would as a coffee maker. I mean, they're, they both make coffees, but they have different, they have a different function, right? It's, they're all pieces to help with that final product, but they have different functions. So I wasn't, I wouldn't use the same weights or the same metrics to measure the success of those, of those products. And I, and I think that's one of the problems with using this type of, system is that it does make it a heterogeneous um, process and applies it to all institutions of education. Yeah. One, one example that you shared with me that stuck out, that stuck out was, um, I forget the college. It was in, 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 in Louisiana, in New Orleans, and the retention and graduation rate was something around 28% for the year of Katrina. Because everyone left, right, um, as, and many did not return. Uh, so that that year's score haunted them for several years because it is is it all kinds of it's all kind of cumulative, right? Right. So they they're looking at this year, next year, and they're they're they're, they're looking at that rate for multiple years to kind of get a baseline, right? Right. Exactly. I mean that's and that's tough too because unfortunately this. Um, this list that U.S. News comes out with, it really does impact the the um, ability for a school to, to secure funding. Um, a lot of people say they won't donate or they won't give money unless they they move up in in this list. Um, it doesn't it does affect how much they actually bring in, and so it's a lot of the funding they get too is dependent on making sure. Well, if I give you money, I want to see that this school does better on this this list. I expect your the school to move up and become better, um, a more successful school based off what U.S. News reports you as, and that's right. that's tough. I mean, you it's it's hard. You can't put that much. You can't give um, you can't give an algorithm that much power. Like that's that can be very damaging and it can be very disastrous 
um, for an uh, institution like education. Well, and, and the, the point that um, the gentleman who was talking about the, the New Orleans school was that there's no context to the number. So 28%, yes, that's not great, but take it in the context of a 100-year hurricane, mm-hmm. it makes more sense. Right. And it, it, there's not, there's, you can't compare that to other schools. I mean, it's hard to say what, what other universities and that went through a natural disaster um, that experienced that, that, that year, you know, what was the retention rate like? Um, you know, we mm-hmm. don't have that type of comparison. We don't look at um, how other universities in the past, how, how they, um, you know, to give us some kind of baseline. And that, right. that's not done. It's just like, well, based off of what we're seeing, you know, overall with all the universities, this is what we expect. And if you go way below it, it doesn't matter what the reason is, it's your fault. And that's, right. that's bogus. I mean, that's, that's baloney, part of the language. <laughs> well, and what's going to happen, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic now. Some schools are going to fare better than others in terms of that retention and graduation rate. Yeah. What's going to happen with that? That's, yeah. that's going to be. Exactly. I mean, think about the schools that have built online education within their platform, right? And they're, they're more prepared for something like this versus schools that, you know, it's not really embedded in their culture yet. So it's, you know, it's hard to kind of separate the two um, and how, you know, how can they switch so quickly to accommodate this off-campus type of lifestyle. It's, you know, they're not going to be able to do it right away. So they, a lot of these universities will be impacted. Um, now, I don't know if because this is a universal issue, like it's impacting universities across the entire nation, if U.S. News is going to be like, well, because this is such a global issue, you know, we need to incorporate that into our next year's um, uh, results, which brings me kind of, Shifting into the other problem is that they change their their results year over year, well, almost like pretty much every year they have a new they either have um, different metrics or they change their weights they shift their weights up a little bit. Um, so it's almost impossible to compare year over year oh. how a school is doing because you can't. It's not apples to apples. You've changed a lot of what the expectations are. So you can't you can't show really how the how the university is progressing. Um, what's the, what's the benefit of changing the weighting or the metrics? So because they are because they are transparent because they do have their information out there and it's public information, you know, they get a lot of public um, pushback on you shouldn't be doing this. Um, I'm sure there's some talks with the higher universities of hey, you know, we feel like this is more important. Um, I know there was an interview where U.S. News says they are, um, I want to make sure I get this right, because he was saying, uh, when I say he, um, I'm talking about Brian Kelly. He's uh, In 2006, he was a U.S. News editor. I'm not sure what his current role is there now. But basically, he said in a, in a C-SPAN video that, you know, we come at this as a journalistic institution. We're not part of the academic industry. So they're really focusing on the consumer of of the academic industry, the students. And they, they want to make sure they have a, a product for them that will help them make a decision of which school to go to. So I can't say that they have, you know, that the universities are, are influencing um, you know what you know what the what the metrics are, what the weighting's like, 
but I would assume that there would be some conversation with them um, to help relate, you know, going back to that, they're the sub subject matter experts, going back to, you know, are we, are we pulling the right information and are we able to um, provide a product that the customer, our customer, the students feel confident in? Um, so there is a lot of that open discussion back and forth. So, you know, because of that, they, they make some changes. And I do think that there are some shifts in the education because, you know, especially now, like we were talking about as online education becomes more important. I think that the pandemic is going to put more focus on, um, you know, that online type degree, which 10 years ago, people would have shunned, you know, maybe 15 years ago, they would like, uh, you got an online degree that doesn't count. It's not the same thing. Um, so but, that, that shift in, in, uh, in the industry also helps. But if you rely on the universities, at least in some small part, to participate in this, in this product, in this process, then there's an, there's an obvious conflict of interest. It, it's so let me, let me give an example. So are you familiar with uh, JD power and associates? Yeah. And they do their rankings. They, they do their rankings of, of vehicles, mm -hmm. um, but they sell um, to the automotive industry. So that's one of their largest stakeholders, mm -hmm. not, not, not necessarily consumers, although that's the way they, they position it. But then you have, um, what's the other product ranking? Um, Consumer Reports. Consumer Reports, yeah. Where they buy all the products they review and they don't uh, they don't take any input or lobbying from the manufacturers or the, the the companies that make the product or service. Yeah. So if you're looking at these two models, uh, U.S. News and World Reports college ranking seems to kind of um kind of go down the middle a little bit, but they still have this this constituency in the universities that if they were purely scientific. Uh, uh, outfit they wouldn't have. Yeah, so um, I did say they were transparent with you know, how they, you know, come up with this um, this listing, um, this this ranking of universities, but they're not transparent in how they actually come up with that um, that the algorithm itself. So even though they share what you know how they're ranking it, they don't share how they came up with that process to rank it. Um, so I, I I don't know if there's input from universities. Um, I don't know if there's just input within that team and they're just using their, you know, they've been doing this for years and years and years. So if they're just kind of using their background in history um, to determine what that looks like, um, or if they're looking at public opinion and they're trying to adjust based off of that, um, it's hard to kind of speak into that. But I I do know that they rely heavily on the the uh, the universities to supply the data for them. Um, so the data from the universities is kind of that product um, that they rely on to determine what the ranking is going to look like. And if you think about consumer reports, like they they go out and they'll order a product to to rank to review, and they don't they don't take anything else into consideration. They just kind of use their own experience with that. Um, U.S. News can't they can't um, experience the product. They can't go to a university, right? They can't have a person in each university uh, ranking it based off of what you know what they're experiencing, what they're doing. Um, it's very it's, it's more reliant on the data set that they get 
from the university. Um, and that itself is also problematic. But, but let me interject there, TJ. So here's, here's, here's my confusion, though. When you look at the metrics they, they consider, none of them come from the customer of the product. There's no input from the student side at all. So if 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 you want to if you want to know how someone perceives a product that that they have purchased, wouldn't the easiest way to do that, or one of the easiest ways to do that, would be to ask the consumer? Um, they kind of do get that consumer feedback, and that's through their um, alumni giving. So even though it's one of their lowest rating weighted metrics, they use that as the way to see what kind of feedback the, the students are giving to their university. Um, I mean, that it's, it, it's, I think that's one way that they felt that they could get a, a cohesive, comprehensive student feedback without relying on each university to have to pull their student body uh, which in and itself can be completely manipulated um, and and highly subjective. Um, but but universities already do that. Uh, maybe yeah, maybe most of especially the the, the higher ones, um, you know, the ones that have uh, that are like more expensive or the you know the bigger the bigger college university ones within the cities. Um, but I mean, I can't say for sure that all of them do. Um, well, uh, and yeah. and they're all different. Like all right. of the surveys are different. So it's you you can't compare each survey at this point to each university. So But that that's true. But you also unless they have information that we don't, and clearly they might, how do we know that alumni giving is a stand in for someone being satisfied with a product? And that's the thing, we don't. Like a lot of this is we just have to rely on what US news is reporting. Um, or saying is relevant to this metric. Um, so even though the, the transparency is there with, you know, what what the metrics are, we have no idea of what the process is behind behind that. Like what what's the reasoning that um, you know what were the metrics that they didn't consider and why weren't those considered? Uh, we don't, well, we don't have that input. Well, TJ, you you have a you have a master's degree, and, and so do I. And we, we both went to research institutions and you and I know that if you're if you're doing research and you don't meticulously describe your methodology, it's not going to work. So right. someone's going to push back. So we're, we keep calling this transparency, but it's not really transparency if we don't know the ins and outs of your methodology in, in its entirety. Right. Um, this is not. This is a public business that offers a product to the public. Um, it's not something that was designed for research. Even the people that created this list or run, you know, that edit and um, are kind of the leaders with this ranking have acknowledged that this is this should not be the only piece of your decision making process. This is one tool of it um, that you should look at and consider. But um, they really encourage people to you know, go outside of what this, this ranking um, states and do their own type of, you know, analysis or deep dive or, you know, get their own information outside outside of what they provide. Um, so they acknowledge this is not a comprehensive tool 
uh, for uh, deciding which college or which university to go to. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's, that's one of the things when you're dealing with a, a business that relies heavily on, you know, making money is they want to continue to make money. The U.S. news, the, the news part of it is, you know, it's not there anymore. Um, they really focus on this ranking because that's where they make their money. And this is how they can sustain their business model is by producing these types of rankings. And uh, that's, that's really what we're talking about is a highly effective, impactful um, product that is manipulating the education institution into believing that they have to they have to rank well in this in order to sustain their funding from their current um, from 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 their current investors or their current um, student body. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I'm, I feel like I'm putting you in a position to defend <laughs> U.S. News and World Reports. No, and I, if, if if I come off that way, I apologize. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's it's like you want them, like. It, really what this is, is this, this product isn't going to go away. Like, you know, this podcast isn't going to shut down the U.S. news. Uh, you know, there have been many, many people that push back on this, that challenge this report, um, that basically have, say the same things that I'm saying. Like, it's just, you know, when you look at it from a, when, when you, when, if you look at this as an unbiased ranking, you're looking at it incorrectly. You've got to, you've got to understand that, Yes, they have algorithms. Yes, they have a process, but it's all built within, within a biased um, weighted metric system that, de that determines which, which universities rank higher. So it can be a great product if it's, if, if it's used correctly by the public and the public just needs to look at this as, hey, you know, maybe this was a university I, I didn't consider before. I'll give it a look and see what else is out there. And maybe open my options to other things, but I mean, it's it's just you know, it's one tool within the arsenal of education that should be used. I know um, when Obama was president, uh, remember those days? That was a long <laughs> time ago. Um, he he actually recognized how you know this this type of reward for ranking um, was not a good way to um, show universities that. Uh, you know what their you know what their value is, and so he challenged that that whole concept, that whole idea, and he tried to build um, tried to build a, a ranking system through the Department of Education, and it was impossible. Like there was just no way to do it in a fair, unbiased way, and they acknowledged that they like there, there's you can't do it. So instead, he he um, his administration you know they created their own scorecard, so they don't call it a ranking system. It's called a, a college scorecard. And I believe it's on the U.S. education website. Um, it's still there. It's still active. But that, that's another tool. Like, go and look at that. See, you know, see what um, these universities are, you know, what they're doing within the scorecard and how they're ranking, uh, you know, from a government, you know, from, a, um, from, from that type of mindset and that type unbiased, you know, outside third party looking in type of thing. Because U.S. News gets a bit of their data from uh, 
government statistics, correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. Well, and, and that makes more sense to me, just you know, from a from a visceral standpoint, because if you have a ranking, even if you're good, someone still needs to be ahead of you. So it it makes more sense if you're looking at if you're looking at where to where to get your education, what you really want to know is what are they good at? Mm-hmm. And not necessarily how do they stack up against this other place? Because if you know, for example, that university Y graduates, you know, 40% of their non-white students, whereas University Z does 25%, and you're a minority student, you may you may give Y more attention. But that doesn't mean that Z isn't, you know, doing a right. great job and trying to trying to improve, you know? Yeah, and Obama actually, he, a quote from uh, one of his archive, um, it's on the, I think it's on this ObamaWhiteHouse.archives.gov. There's like a, he does a weekly address. And one of them, when he's talking about the college scorecard, he says, many existing college rankings reward schools for spending more money and rejecting more students. So these types of rankings shift priorities for universities when they're accepting students into their program. Like, it, it can change the way they see um, applicants coming in. If they, if they see, um, you know, if they can do their own analysis and say, well, we, you know, we believe this segment is going to, gra- is more likely to graduate. It is more likely to be successful. Right. So they, they build this segment around this idea of who's going to help them in the future with, you know, growing this ranking. And so they're going to be more likely to accept this group of people into the university. And then they're going to completely reject this other segment, um, and it's 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 just it can, can it can completely change, you know, the priorities universities place on the students coming in as well. I mean, that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> that is true. Well, TJ, it's been great having this conversation with you. I really enjoyed it. Very enlightening. And uh, I'm a look- very enlightening person. So. <laughs> Yes, you are. <laughs> and I look forward to talking more about this. Uh, this won't be the end. Yeah, let's keep it going. Absolutely. No one can stop this train. <laughs> Thanks, Denzel. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to You Might Also Like. There's more where that came from, so make sure to subscribe to the channel wherever you get your podcast. Also, please leave a review or a comment. The algorithms on the podcast feed love social acceptance, so if you leave a review or a comment, the more likely we'll end up in someone's you might also like feed. Till the next time.